Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert, and this is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics on everybody's lives. Episode four, Ebru Dogan. Ebru, welcome in. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, you obviously, you coach uh, a lot of speech. You competed in college speech? High there, school. High school, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. And, uh, you know, you, you are also the chair, the elementary chair of the Southern California Junior Forensic League. So we've got a lot to talk about, and especially in regard to uh, the younger generation of up-and-coming speech fires and men. <laughs> You could, you could tell I've been doing speech for a while. <laughs> Speakers, I guess that's probably what they're called. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved? Uh, so I joined the speech team in high school a little later, actually. So I did it maybe in my, yeah, in my junior year I joined because all my friends were doing speech mm-hmm. and I felt left out not being able to travel with them. Mm. And I had really strict parents. Was there a boy in the room? There was a boy, but we broke up, but all... Really, all my friends were in speech and debate. And I'm operating were... under the assumption that <laughs> forensics would not exist if it weren't for a boy or a girl. Totally, yeah. right? And then you hear they get to do overnight trips, and then you get to tell your parents, well, it's for school, so they'll let you go. So right. I had a lot of other motives to join, and I joined. It wasn't that hard for me since all my friends were in. They kind of helped me out, and then I just kind of skated by, and after my first tournament was when I really... Started falling in love. You got love. bit by the yes, bug? Yes, totally. And what year was that for you? Was that your freshman year? My junior year. Your junior year. Yeah, so I you're a, a late to it. Totally. Okay. Yeah, which I regret. All right, so you, you went to one tournament, and was that in the first half of your junior year? Second yeah, year? it okay. was Cal State Long, Be- Long Beach, the Jack Howe tournament. Okay. Yeah, and I did impromptu. I did duo, which was terrible, so we're not going to talk about <laughs> it. But I did pretty well in impromptu, and I just loved... I've never had the platform to just talk about my own ideas. And I'm, I'm a pretty creative person. I don't want to toot my own horn, but you know, I, toot it. Li- That's this whole podcast <laughs> I like about. to think that I had, you know, an interesting take on concepts like love and friendship. You know, they're unique to me because I'm my own person and I'd never been able to just talk to a group of people and have them listen to me. I just, for the first time, I really felt the power of communication, not to be cheesy, but I really did. And I loved it. Wow. So I just that's, kept that's, doing it. That's got a little bit of um, romanticism for the it, activity in it there. It totally was. I All mean, right. I always like to talk. So my parents always told me when I was young, I would love to talk to adults. I was just a big talker, but it was never in that sense where I was, you know, trying to share a personal idea or my own take on my own opinion or be persuasive in any way it was just like different so so once you get involved in the speech team where does it go from there i mean you're are you involved in theater at the time no 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 i in fact i actually had a lot of trouble with interp and acting because wow. i yeah i was i find that surprising because I, I, I mean you seem like someone who i know no would be on that level i was i think it was in my in my head a little bit because you know a lot of kids feel that way now too where acting is this vulnerable thing yeah because they have to put themselves out there and do a voice and they find that scary so that was it for me yeah i, I struggled with that did you ever conquer that uh, yeah, I did in competition i did i did thematic interpretation my mm-hmm. senior year and I did end up calling the state with that. So okay. I did get over it a little bit. But I think now if I were to do something like that, I'd be totally fine. But just back then I was in my head. So. Well, okay. So let's let's back up just a little bit. Yeah. How did you find out about speech? You said your friends were involved. Correct. 
did you uh, when was the first time you saw a speech being performed was it your friends that were doing one where they were rehearsing for something yeah i think maybe there was a showcase at the school uh-huh. but i would say i didn't even really see it that much before joining i really just wanted the social aspect uh-huh. so i don't think i really saw it until so once i made it on the team i joined the class and then you know we had a little bit of instruction there so maybe that was my first time but before then i don't think i had really a lot of experience in watching anybody speak Maybe other than YouTube's a random TED talk here and there. Were you involved in some other activity before the speech team? No. Swimming or chess team or anything I like that? I did badminton for one year and I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just wandering. I didn't really have a lot of focuses in high school. It wasn't really until speech that I decided to dedicate my time into one thing. I did like theater one year and then badminton the next year. I never... I was just kind of floating around, you know? I never found anything that I really liked. It was just something I did to... So speech gave you purpose. It did give me purpose. Okay, so you go to the Jack Howe. Yes. You do moderately well in impromptu? I got second place in JV impromptu. But I was a junior, so I don't want to, you know... I I did pretty well, but I was a little older, so I think I had the confidence to... All right, so you do that, and then you're raring to go for your next tournament. Do you remember your next tournament after that? I don't, actually. Okay. I only remember the big ones, the travel ones. I think it did a lot of local league Well, we should say, where are you from originally? Because if oh, you're, you're not went, from Long Beach. No, right? I'm from Redlands, California. Okay. At least that's where I went to high school. All right, so you're from Redlands, and they say, we're going to go down south to Long Beach, big Correct. trip. Yes. All right, and that was your first tournament. Correct. You're super excited, probably a little nervous. Yes. All right, you, you walk away with a second place trophy. Yes. And then where do you go from there? Uh, and then I just wanted to do every tournament. Yeah. I was that kid. I was oh. like, all right, anytime there's a tournament, I'm there. I don't care how long it is. I don't care where it is. And I just started doing a bunch of different events. I just wanted to try all of them. So I pretty much did. I did pretty much every debate event besides them policy. Mm-hmm. I did pretty much every speech event, maybe except some of the dramatic stuff. But yeah, I just wanted to try it all. And I was a little bit lazy, so that was part of the thing where I would just try one and kind of put half the effort in and then ditch it and move on. And yeah. As a, as a coach now, <laughs> did, how do you approach <laughs> laziness? Well, I just tell the kids that, you know, you regret it because yeah. if I would have spent that time really focusing on one thing or putting in the effort because I did moderately okay. If I went to a tournament, I would break to semis or a lot of times if it was a local tournament, I would get in the finals. But that was me. I could have been doing so much more. You yeah. know, I could have really taken it to the next level. And I did qual the Nats my senior year. But again, that was I should have just really taken it seriously. And I think it would have really gone somewhere and been something way more fruitful mm. so I yeah I, that's the the bane of my existence as a coach is just that laziness factor yeah. you know and you see so much talent come through totally. and you're going man you could be great just stop being yeah. so lazy i think eventually it catches up with them since i only did it for two years i think i just was able to coast oh. but i see in a lot of kids the laziness catches up with them and then they are faced <laughs> with that reality where they actually have to you know, put in the effort to excel and exceed. So I think eventually they'll realize, hopefully. 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 (laughs) Um, Okay, so you you go through high school. Now, you said you called for nationals your senior year. Did you go? Yes. How was that? Super fun. Tell me about it. Uh, So it was in... What event was it? I mean, walk me through it. So after my junior year, I uh, got to be an officer position at my team, and our coach... Uh, got the booster club to fund 
all the officers, the president, the vice president, to go to a speech camp at ASU. Mm. So I originally... I didn't know you had an ASU connection. Yes, I do. Oh. So I went to the speech camp there. I originally went in for impromptu. And they told us, well, you know, there aren't that many impromptu kids here. I think you're one of the only ones. So we're going to stick you in extemp, which at the time was just terrifying. terrifying. Oh, my yeah. God. I freaked out which was weird for me because i didn't have a lot of fears yeah inter but to me having to talk about political things i wasn't really one of those kids that kept up with the news i think this was a big change in my life because before then it was actually election year and i didn't really know who was going to be the republican nominee i didn't know what was i had no idea so yeah, that camp really changed my life. And part of it was that they forced us to give speeches. Mm. And I would go up to speak and my voice would be tremoring, which it had never done before. And by the end of the week or week and a half, it was, I felt way more comfortable. So I really started doing extent more my senior year. And then eventually I called in it. Okay, so you called in what now? International or national? National. Okay, so mm -hmm. national extent. You go to nationals. Correct. In Indianapolis. Right. Indiana. I, I remember that yes. year. Yeah, yeah. I was there. I was coaching our middle school team really? that year. Yeah. All right, so you go and tell me about it. What, what was your experience like? It was good. It was really fun. Uh, I remember, you know, going into rounds and doing okay i think i think i still didn't take it as seriously mm. as i should have you know because i had graduated and at that point i was just thinking ah oh you've already graduated by that point yes That's so right. i was thinking ah. because nationals is a little bit after Correct. graduation so I was like, all right this is just a fun vacation but i i remember doing some of the supplementary events and i memorized my poetry at the team dinner the night before there you go yeah and i was like all right i'm gonna do it and it, i had one really good round and the second round it was one of those things where i skipped to another spot and the judge gave me a little like confused look i was like ah and then for one of the days i remember they were asking for volunteers to judge the middle school ld rounds really? wow. yes and so i was really excited about that so my friend and i went and i judged around and there was this girl who uh was debating against a guy and she was on the neg side so the after the guy had given his first constructive she got up and i was blown away i still remember that round wow i was so blown away because i knew she was in middle school and she was so good i thought she was just even better than me she had the organization speaking her knowledge on the subject i was so blown away i remember writing on her ballot that i can't believe you're in middle school you're so good who so, was it do you know no i don't i just remember it was a girl and she may have been korean i'm not sure that's just a guess wow <laughs> Well, now we got to dig out and find who that was. Uh, okay, so after high school, mm -hmm. you do you do speech in college at all? Mm -hmm. Not no, at all. No. Why not? Uh, I don't. I think I had maybe a lot of personal things, and I don't really know if the the school that I went to at the time had a speech team. I just never really pursued. What it. college did you go to? University of California Riverside. Okay. So UCR. Yeah. For a little bit. And then I had some financial aid issues. So I just, to me, college wasn't a priority. I guess that's the simple answer. So it just was just like before I joined the speech team, I didn't really feel like I had a purpose. I switched majors a bunch of times. I kind of really wanted to do art, but I had to grapple with the fact where a lot of people say, you're not going to make any money as an artist. You're going to be a starving artist, etc." So it's just because I didn't really take college seriously, I just didn't pursue speech as uh -huh. well. Yeah.
And so is that where you, did you graduate from Riverside? No, I never did. You never did? Mm-mm. Wow. And you got a job. I know. And you're, you're now teaching at Nova 42. Correct. Which is one of the more prestigious academies, especially for speech in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, and so how did you, how did you end up there? A friend referred me who was working there at the time and said, you should teach this class, you know, and I think at the time, maybe they had a student who needed help with expository, which I had done my junior year Mm -hmm. and, you know, I did pretty good at it. So they were, she was saying, Hey, you could come teach expository. We don't really have anybody. And then eventually I came in for a class or two. And I think there was a spot for me in the elementary class. And Mm -hmm. I've always loved kids. I'm the oldest. So I've always been the family babysitter. I've always just helped everybody out with kids. That's how many brothers and sisters do you have? Just two. Okay. But a lot of family friends and a lot of babysitting. So, or if there was, you know, a family party, I would be just in charge of the kids. So I was, it was naturally a yes for me. So what was the class that you were asked to teach? Elementary. It was just the elementary basic. Was it speech or was it just math or? No, it was speech and yeah, it was speech and debate. It was a Sunday class. And they said, hey, you should come in. So and you walk in. Yes. This is your first time really teaching, right? Correct. Yes. Wow. What's that experience like? Uh, a little scary. Yeah? Yeah. And I didn't know anybody's name, so I kept calling them friend, which actually <laughs> uh, my boss, Mike, ended up really liking. He thought that was really sweet. And I was like, oh, it's because I don't know their names. But it's okay. You don't need to know So that. was Mike there watching you teach? Yes. We, co- we were co-teaching. Okay. Yes. Which is also intense. Um, but it was okay. But in a way, that's almost better because right. you don't have an agenda. Like you, your lesson plan is kind of like, Correct. well, I don't know. You tell me. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I was it a big class? Uh, maybe uh, it couldn't have been more than ten kids. Okay. But it I had a couple drills ready, so I took over, you know, class for a little bit to have a fun little drill. I think it was just like a storytelling drill where every kid says one word, or it was a debate drill. But I was surprised at. It's hard because they it, just to teach. Yes. With kids, they just they'll eat you alive if you show any sign of weakness. weakness yeah. Right. They just know. You know, that sounds so trite, but it really is true. I, I When I first started teaching, I wanted to be so friendly with this, the kids. And I was like, you know, I remember being young, too. And I always kind of wanted to be like friendly with the teacher. The problem is you do that and they walk all over you. <laughs> They never do their assignment and they ultimately don't learn. They totally. don't they don't walk away with something that they're paying you to teach. Right. Them. No, totally. And you might have a good time, but they're not learning the skill. And I think eventually they lose interest because that's the thing that I had to learn over time is yeah. that kids like to learn. Yeah. They love having a challenge and then that feeling of accomplishment of overcoming right. it. They love that. And so eventually i think fun and games can only last so long and that's when i see kids lose interest yeah i think you're right and i think too i mean i i've had to discover that of not setting boundaries not doing homework and things like that oh it's okay no big deal if there's no repercussions they won't do it right totally and as a result they start to suffer for it right and and you start seeing that at tournaments as well totally so okay you start teaching there you co-teach with mike Mm -hmm. and uh and then when does he kind of uh, bring you on is it like a permanent thing like come back next week or yeah i think they had gone to nationals okay so it was right around that time and when they came back they said hey do you want to teach the class you mike will be with you for a little bit of time and then we'll have him pull out and you could just take over the class 
And it wasn't that long after. Maybe it was a couple weeks after. He's like, all right, you're ready. And so I had a lot of freedom, which I feel like I, I was able to make a lot of errors. You know, not huge ones, but I would do a drill and I would realize we didn't learn anything from yeah. that. That was just pure shenanigans. <laughs> we, that was just fun, right. which is great. But yeah, we didn't. That was There was no educational value to that activity. So... I was able to learn a lot just from the process of, okay, what do I want to teach this this week? How do I tackle that? How do I do it in a way where it's engaging and it's fun, but it's still educational? And that process kind of like shaped me as a teacher. That's nice. That's nice. And so you start getting more and more involved with the elementary level of things. Do you coach very many middle school students or did you ever really coach at at Nova Middle School? I now I work with the sixth graders okay. because it's a transitional class because before they would just jump in with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and it, I think it was a little too much for them mm. because I don't know these sixth graders they still look like elementary schoolers sure. to me they're so young but yeah so now I really kind of teach the sixth grade class or I'll help middle school public forum every once in a while. And so recently you were elected to the elementary yes. chair at the Southern California. Correct junior forensics league Mm -hmm. so tell me about that like how how has that been for you what's the process been like for you of learning how to i mean you you run a lot of the elementary tournaments very i feel it's been very growing like Mm. i feel like i have grown a lot in the last year of having the position from being a young 20 year old who's just fumbling through life to an adult with a career and a set of responsibilities (laughs) because just having to keep on top of all the people that have questions right. and just facilitating the whole thing has been, you know, st- yeah, at times stressful, but also super rewarding at the end of the day. What know. kind of things have you learned about like how tournaments run and and the differences maybe between elementary tournaments and, and uh, high school or college tournaments? I feel like we're pretty lucky at elementary tournaments because the numbers aren't as high. So I, I feel like we can manage it there. Um, but I found that it's a lot because I used to think, you know, we, we've all been to tournaments where postings are supposed to go up at 9 a.m. It's 9.45. They haven't gone up. What is happening? Right. And people are getting really stressed out. But now I realize why that happens, you know, and it's all about planning ahead. And when people don't do that, it just burns to the ground. And we've all been at those tournaments. We've been to smooth tournaments and we've yes. been to rough tournaments. Totally. And you can tell right. real quick what type of tournament you're at. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do want to say you run a really smooth tournament. Thank you. Uh, and I've, I've been behind the scenes a few times and seen you put out a lot of fires that most people would trip up and uh, cause a really long delay where, you know, you're hours behind and you're like, nope, we got to get back on, on schedule, yes. you know, and, and people got to get out of here at a reasonable time. And I like watching you work. I like watching you run the tournament. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we've all had the parents kind of freak out. And I just, and I know that. And coaches yes. and competitors. <laughs> and, you know, people. And come ourselves. Up, people come up to say, we have a game to go to or a concert. We got to wrap it up. They're not going to be able to make it to finals. So, yeah, I just try to make sure that it runs on time because I've also been on the other end. And it's not fun waiting for three plus hours over, you know, the schedule. Sure. So. 
I always love that. I love that when <laughs> when the parent comes in and goes, "Come on, we got a Rams game. We got to go to." <laughs> oh my god! And uh, and meanwhile, the, the kid is like, "I'm competing in this. I'm doing right. this activity." It's like, but the Rams are playing. <laughs> it's so bad. I try not to say anything, but I do feel bad for the kid, especially when the parent's getting really angry and they're just there, and you could see that they're in this awkward situation. And yeah. Well, you bring up something that's really interesting, and I do want to talk about the the parent aspect. Mm. So. I mean, I, I came up in high school, and there were parents around, but the league that I was involved with, the parents were there, but they weren't, they were not hands-on. It was, it was mainly coaches and competitors, and the parents kind of backed off. Uh, and then I went to college, and there were no parents mm-hmm. involved. I mean, my dad would show up to tournaments, but he was just an observer, mm-hmm. and uh, you'd occasionally see that from a few other competitors, but for the most part, parents weren't involved, and, and a lot of people were like, my parents don't even know what this is. Right. Um. And then you get involved in <laughs> middle school, and then you get involved in elementary. Totally. And the parents are a whole other factor that you don't really consider. Uh, how, what's that been like for you? I mean, you're dealing with parents on your team, dealing with parents from other teams, have you had any tragic moments other than people wanting to duck out early to, to make it to the, the local football team? You know, I would say, obviously, there's parents on both ends of the spectrums there's some parents that I love and I love chatting with and I love talking to and they have such a great attitude to their kids and even if they're more involved you know they just have a really good perspective on the activity but I do have to it's just been very difficult for me to because like you said with me my parents were never involved at all in high school i would come home sure. with a trophy they'd be like great and they weren't whatever involved. that is yeah awesome great put it on the shelf they weren't involved in the speech writing they didn't see that the night before i'd be gluing my expos boards together whereas parents that i've had to deal with that i have a hard time with are the ones that are so it's almost to me seems suffocating on their kids mm. where they're so involved in the process where for example they're not going to let them pick their topic or they're going to ha- force them in the events that they don't want to do. And I just have to very calmly explain to them that they're not able to get the full benefits of this activity if they're being so constricted. Sure. They have to have the freedom. I, what you're saying is so true. I've had a number of parents, I'm thinking of one in particular who has a couple of kids and is really trying to force them to become debaters. And Right. And I'm like, your children are not debaters. Right. So th- there's a mentality that you need. If I mean, we can teach debate to them and they will learn how to do it but i mean i just don't think they've got it in them yeah and i hear parents tell me that all the time oh he's not you know or i have students come up to me say i'm not allowed to do interp i'm like okay i'm sorry i mean that sounds so reductive on my part to say you're not a debater i i I guess look anybody can do Mm -hmm. debate and and i don't like that approach where people say that of like you can't debate anybody can learn how to debate but i think when you've got parents that are coming at you going, I want them to, like, they have these dreams of, we're going to win nationals and debate. I'm going, your child doesn't know how to take notes. Right. Like, your child doesn't know how to write things down in class. And that's a basic building block we're going to have to to 
to put together. Right. And, and that's s- a whole, that's a, a basic thing that all debaters need to know how to do. And sometimes it's their personality types where some kids sure. love being goofy. Right. I have a so kid. So let's put them into HI yeah, or they want to make voices and act. And they, you can see that they get joy from making other people laugh. Right. And I, you know, I have to approach a parent and say, hey, I think your kid would be great at storytelling. And they come back to me and say, I'm not allowed to do interp. In elementary. Do you think part of that is just the prestige of doing debate? Like, I feel like when you when you say to somebody, oh, I do speech and debate, and they they go, oh, do you, do you like arguing with people? That's what everybody always says. Right. And then you're like, no, I, I do the speech side. And then... Uh, and they they still have this mentality of okay so you debate right that's all they can think of mm-hmm. and their concept of debate is even oftentimes flawed and i think like there, there's just an expectation of my child we will be good at debate and this speech stuff is that's i don't even know what that is that's not real right i feel like also i it might be just be the area that i teach in it's definitely the prestige and also, I don't know if this is a little presumptuous, but I've noticed a lot of my kids, their parents are already thinking very far in advance mm. to what middle school they're going to go to, which then will be what well, high school and then college, right? So I think debate does carry this prestige and that you can go to a really nice high school with a great debate team sure. and get the, be the captain, get into Harvard, be a doctor, yeah. make millions of Get the of scholarship the, right. and yeah, everything's all yeah. laid out for you. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, there are a few surprises along the way. Totally. Um, so what else? What what kind of have been some of your um, your discoveries of teaching? Like, What kind of things have you figured out how to teach elementary students? You said before that some drills are probably not worthwhile. Have you found any sort of like um, little nuggets along the way of how to approach elementary? Or I guess really anybody, I mean, as you're teaching. For me, I like to draw pictures on the board whenever I do anything political because there is this huge roadblock where kids, when they hear we're going to talk about the economy or jobs or wages, they just check out, right? So, for example, we were doing a class debate on whether or not we should raise the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. So we were going to do a uh, Congress-style debate, and I decided to draw on the board a store and I w- I'll take a kid's name like Jerry and I'll draw him on the board and usually they're pretty engaged and I like to draw them bad on purpose so they're all laughing right big ears big nose and then I'll talk about you know hey here's the store and Jerry owns the store and if he makes this much money and the rate the wages grow up go up at GameStop what is he gonna have to do to the games and he's probably gonna have to raise the prices so I feel like I personally am a visual learner, so for me to put it, if I talk about these concepts and make it really abstract, I notice I start to lose some kids. So I try to make it as visual as possible for them. And it's more fun for me too to draw, so I think it's just a win-win in that situation. I'm I'm an awful artist. Really? But I think that makes it funny. Like sometimes I'll do Bob and I'll draw Bob. Draw a little stick figure or something? Oh no, I'll make his head really tiny and his body ginormous (laughs) and like have little arms sticking out from the sides and the kids love that. I have to pick some of that up. And his belly will like stick out of his shirt. The best. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm, I think I picked up something here just from talking <laughs> with you. I'll have to draw a little bit more. Yeah. I do draw sometimes, but usually it's like arrows and, uh, you know, I, I'll draw like a house, but it's all rudimentary stick mm. figure, awful drawings. You gotta, you gotta draw the actual people. And I think it also gives them something to stare with. I do that with public forum too, because there's eight speeches and that's so hard for elementary kids to keep track of how many speeches and what each role is. And there's four people. So I'll draw the people mm. that, are debating and I'll make the enemy team look really angry and draw flame eyes and then our team looks really you know happy angelic you give them a halo totally how do you deal with um with a lot of the political discussions that come up I mean um I think I've I've struggled sometimes trying to keep your own politics out do you keep your own politics out or do you make it very like here's what I think but here's this other viewpoint or do you just not even care about the other viewpoint I think it depends on the subject there's Hmm. some subjects where I just try to keep it as straightforward as possible just because i i don't know i i i know whatever i say that's a hard lesson i've had to learn i know whatever i say it's going to get repeated back to the parents so one time i was talking in class and the kids were asking me why are you wearing so much makeup today and i'm like oh you should see it's my huge hobby it takes me about like an hour to do my makeup well two days later a parent comes up to me well joshua told me that it takes you an hour to do your makeup i'm like oh great i didn't know we were playing telephone right so i try to keep it baseline on certain really sensitive good thing you just said that into a microphone on a podcast and <laughs> well, everybody i don't knows. mind it just shocked me to the level of detail they remember what i say even yeah. if it's something that's not important we will learn something and the parents will ask him about it and they'll say oh i don't know we did stuff but if it's personal to me they'll remember it because obviously they're engaged but yeah so i just try to keep everything if it's a sensitive subject just as straightforward as possible just because also i feel like, it's not necessarily my job to influence them. Mm. Like, I want them to eventually get to the point where they can form their own opinions on certain things. And at the age level that I teach, I don't think they're... Some of them are, and I can have a more honest discussion, but I don't want to teach something to the whole class and say, this is the way you have to Well, think. how would you teach something like uh, like the Trump impeachment? I mean, because that's so mm. split, right? There, right. That's something that... I mean, you might have your personal feelings, but right. at the same time, they're going to go home and right and talk to and talk to their parents who right. might not necessarily Correct. agree with what you think. So, do, how do you approach that, uh, or do you just avoid those <laughs> topics at all costs? I think the Trump impeachment one, I avoid. Well, actually, if something comes up on the news, you know, we'll talk about the wall and is it really effective? I, I usually try to preface it. I'll say, hey, this is my opinion. And then there's some things I'll say, this is, I've read this and I think and this is a fact and you can disagree with me, but you should do your own research. I always kind of put that out there. But do you I, think that's a, a big a challenge for a, a, a fourth or fifth grader to like do your own research and then well, they're like, I don't know I how to do some that. some students that would religiously, just one actually, religiously watch InfoWars. So that was a tough challenge <laughs> where we'd have debates in class and he wanted to use that as a source. Yeah. And so that was one of the times where I had to say, look, you know, you can have your own personal belief. I, I have my own, but this isn't a credible source. There's bias in this source. Yeah. You'd be like, no, it's really good. It's really good. He's saying good things. And I'm like, I understand. Like, let's just put politics Or at aside. least let's find it in other places, right? right? You can even right. say the same stuff, but right. let's find it in a more legitimate, respected you can't say source. according to Alex Inf- Jones. Right. Info it's wars. not going to work. Yeah. All right. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we do on the show is we have uh, we have a series of survey questions. All right. So these are uh, questions that we ask everybody that comes on the show in the spirit of Proust and 
flipped in and everything else. So I call this the final round. Are you ready for the final round? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to ask you these questions. Question number one. This uh, could pertain to you when you're competing or when you're coaching. It's up to you. Mm. All right. Number one, were you superstitious? No, not at all. Really? Never. Uh-uh. So you didn't knock on wood no, or do anything nothing. when the postings I, came out? No. I've never been that type of person, so not at all. That's interesting. No. Do you, do you find that a lot of people are? Are your students superstitious at all? No. I, the same thing. I know I was superstitious. I had my oh, own really? little superstitions. Um, and I'm not that person at all. But I, I had like a necklace that I used to wear and things like that, that underneath my, my suit. But I find that none of my students are. And they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, let's just, just yeah. go look at it. No. Huh, that's interesting. Number two, who is the competitor you most admired? Uh, the competitor I most admired that comes to me is this debater that was in our local league. He went to Claremont High School, and I don't even remember his name now, but I remember he would do parley, yeah, parliamentary debate, and I really admired him. We'd go watch his rounds because I would be out, so me and my friends would go watch his rounds, and I really admired him because he had the style where he would debate and he would make it look effortless. He wasn't particularly worked up or tense or aggressive. He would kind of take out an opponent's argument while doing it so casually. Mm. And he made it, he was so relaxed. And I feel, and I still think this way, I think that that's way more persuasive sometimes than getting very worked up and really angry and making your points in an angry manner. I think you can take a step back and make it look like you're not even trying. You know, you can still be passionate, but just losing that tense. Yeah kind of attitude throwing in some humor when when a competitor drops a joke in the middle of a debate round you're going oh this is great right it's a lot more fun yeah i remember once i had a um when i was debating in college i had a a team that we'd encountered and uh we we knew them from debate camp and the coach came in and was really hungry and said i'll give you extra points if you can uh work in different Chinese foods because she wanted Chinese food. And so we started dropping all of these like puns of like, uh, you know, we're going to Kung Pao it to them and, you know, (laughs) Saki this or whatever. And if we were able to kind of work in some sort of Asian food into the round and we got extra speaker points and it was the most fun we'd had in debate ever uh, because it was so lighthearted and enjoyable. And we still made arguments. We still were being being persuasive, but it was fun. And I think some of that gets lost sometimes in debate. Totally. Uh, Okay. Question number three. What's the most memorable speech you've seen? Uh, the most memorable speech I've seen in person. I think one of them was when I was at State. I watched an expos round because I dropped out of um, my quals in semis because one of my boards fell. I put mm. it in upside down. I had this oh, no. board. My topic was magnets. And I had this board that talked about the old TVs that had like magnets to disperse the pixels and the, the information. So I had this little TV with different pictures in it. So I made the joke, you can watch Pokemon on your TV. And I would pull, put in the Pokemon picture and I would move different pictures. Well, I put that board upside down. Top was open. So all my papers went. Oh. And I, it, I don't think it even phased me, but in a semifinal, 
final round where no one's boards are falling on the ground, I definitely dropped out. So I decided to watch it at state just to see what everyone else was doing. And there was this one person who I believe was giving a speech on the French Revolution. And at one point, he folded out his board and a guillotine popped out. And this thing looks amazing. Like, it looks like it's been professionally made. And he pulls a string and the blade of the guillotine falls down and the head at the bottom pops off. It was insane. I don't think he made it, if I'm being honest. I think someone else got paid to make that. But I really sticks out in my mind. I, that's a problem that I tend to have with a lot of the uh, the expository speeches right. at high school is that it's all it's all show and not enough tell. Right? Totally. It's, uh, the, the boards become right. the main attraction. Right. And the speech becomes very secondary. Mm-hmm. How did that guy do? I don't remember. I just remember in that round, there was also a girl who halfway through her speech which it was on art halfway through her speech pulled out a canvas and started painting well, that's pretty cool which was cool but i checked out because she wasn't looking at any of us uh, she just was painting yeah and i thought well i guess that's flashy but i feel like her speech was lost on sure. us i love a good visual aid right. don't get me wrong no, i totally. love visual aids yeah i agree with but you. but it should be a speech first right and not and, just the spectacle yeah and i've seen some that aren't quite like that okay cool uh number four how do you explain forensics to someone unfamiliar with it? We kind of talked a little bit about that earlier, but how do you explain it to people that don't know what speech is? It's so hard. People ask me all the time. I meet new people. I make new friends. And they ask me, what do you do? And I've rephrased this. This has actually been my life struggle because I don't. if you didn't do it, it's so hard in one sentence to explain what it is. So I just say that it's an event or it's an activity that you get to, you know, publicly speak whether that be from telling stories or debating or being persuasive the main objective is to speak to an audience just keep it really basic and <laughs> just very basic yeah, like it's that. just hard because i if i say i'm doing if i teach public speaking it, that's hard too because when people think of public speaking they think of a president's speech yeah. or something really formal so maybe a ted talk yes yeah, they might think like that right you know, I find that to be a problem with a lot of new um, new students that come in and they're thinking about, you tell them speech competition and they immediately think, okay, so how will I hold the microphone? <laughs> and and how many, uh, will there be like 700 people there or like 7,000? And you're like, oh no, no, no. That's the biggest hurdle I have in getting elementary kids to go to a tournament because even when I tell them that you're not going to be on a stage... I know that you're thinking it's like a spelling bee. I blame the media for mm-hmm. making it seem as though all debate competitions are on a stage with a bunch of people sitting Big in front spotlight of you. Right. And and there's else. like a judge's table and they're writing notes and one really old lady's there. I don't know. But I that's the biggest hurdle where I have to tell them, no, you're in a classroom. You're fine. You don't have to be on a stage until you're at finals of nationals. Don't worry. It's and, a reward at that point. Right. So when I tell them that, usually their jaws drop. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. Now I want to try it. It so. takes a lot of the pressure off. Okay, question number five. What was the most un- what was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? A joke. My magnet expos. So in twenty twelve, uh that I don't know actually I'm I'm gonna take the date back because I don't I'm sure this joke was around. It was actually a meme and there is this group called the insane clown posse yeah and they have a song called miracles uh-huh. and one of the verses is um magnets how do they work because they list a bunch of miracles right they're like water fire air and dirt magnets how do they work 
And that was a little bit of a meme. And I thought that was hilarious because obviously we know how they work. It's not a miracle. Yeah. And so I thought I'm going to make that my expose as a joke. And then I did make it my expose. Actually, it was a good topic. So. That's a great answer to that question. <laughs> That's a really unusual inspiration. Yeah. So an ICP song Correct. got you going. Yes. All right. Question number six. Has a speech ever caused you to change? Yes. My friend's oratory her junior year was about how uh, I forgot. I forget the German term of l- taking joy in other people's schadenfreude. Yes. And it was about how we do that even without realizing and that we shouldn't. Right. Yeah. And just she was a really talented speaker. And that was the first time I had really seen an oratory was hers. And, and yeah, I just thought it was really moving. And I didn't know. I wasn't a great writer, so it really impressed me to see someone use their words to make such a big change. Do you feel like you view schadenfreude differently now? Yeah. After having seen that? Totally. In what way? I think I was a little bit more vindictive, and mm. before then, I would say I'd be like, ha-ha, that person deserved the coffee to spill on them. But I think now I'm way more empathetic. It definitely was the first time I had thought about that in general i don't think before that point i even realized that i was gaining happiness out of someone else's misery i just thought yeah this is who i am right so that was i think the first time where i was like hey maybe that's not really a nice thing to do i wonder if that person uh if that competitor did you ever tell her that that's kind of changed you i mean i don't know if i told her specifically that it's changed me i think i just said that I really enjoyed it. I remember telling her, going up to her and being like... I mean, all these years later, right. I find that interesting that, you know, you say these these speeches and you don't really... I mean, all of this is public speaking and we're hoping to change minds and, and we're hoping to change the world with some of our topics. But the reality is because there's so many of them, it's not Absolutely. very likely to really yes. change the world. But slowly... Uh, there are people that pick up what you're saying and they're going, you know what? That's really affecting me. I am going to, I'm going to remember what you say. I'm going to take those words uh, in the spirit that you're giving them me uh, to me and, and do something about it. And that's what um, Jung, uh, my other boss has said to her students that she's told me that I've now started using as well is that, you know, I tell the kids, you don't know who's in the audience mm-hmm. that might be having a rough day or who might be really relating to what you're saying. You don't know. And you could be changing someone's mind. Even if it's that one person, that's pretty impactful. You know, your words of power over other people and to make them think about things that they normally wouldn't have. I, I try to point that out to the kids. I like that. That's a really nice, uh, that's a nice little window. <laughs> I think I'm going to tear up. <laughs> Question number seven. What did you do with your awards? Threw them all away. Did you? As soon as I graduated, I tossed them all. I don't. I was Marie Kondo before Marie Kondo became a thing. Yeah. Right? Does not spark me joy. I shall throw it away. I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't so jaded. I just graduated, and then I kind of went through this big cleaning where I was thinking, "Hey, I already got these awards. I the moment lives in my brain forever, and this is just a piece of plastic that doesn't really mean anything." So I tossed it. <laughs> I, I find, as I've asked that question, there's two different types of people. <laughs> there's people who throw them away, and there's people who keep them and have like, oh no, I have I have the ribbons from when I was uh, on the swim team in third grade, and you're like, wow. And there's just, just people who keep it and people who chuck it. That's interesting. You're a chuck it. Yeah, I t- just totally toss them all. All right. Question number eight. What speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life? Impromptu. In what way? I just am constantly 
being asked questions where I don't really have an answer and I have to make an answer up on the spot, Mm -hmm. you know, just to be able to speak without being flustered or without losing your train of thought or having a coherent sentence. I think before speech and debate, I was definitely the like and like he said like and I was like, I think that was definitely me. So that speaking off the top of my head in such a intense situation, I think really improved my speaking skills. I feel like I use it every day because before, I don't, I, I, English is my second language. So I feel like I really wasn't that good of a speaker until I was forced to do it all the time. What was your first language? Turkish. Yeah. So I moved here in the fourth grade. So I would still say weird things like, I don't know, can I have a piece of water? Not in high school, not in high school, but definitely worked my way up where I'll still say things where, you know, my friends catch me and they'll say, that's weird. Yeah, that's weird. So that's, do you think in English now? Yeah, totally. I've definitely made the switch because you don't, Mm -mm. there doesn't seem to be a a transition that's happening from one language to the other. No, definitely speak, uh, think in English. Yeah. Do you have trouble switching back to Turkish? Yes, totally. I, for my, my Turkish is very rough. I, if I went back and I spent a month, I think I would have it. And if somebody speaks slowly, I can understand it. Okay, maybe at a second grade level, for me to recall words is really difficult. I, there's a, an interesting YouTube video I saw a long time ago. Uh, I think it was Smarter Every Day or something mm. like that. But he took a bike and had it specially engineered so that in order to turn the bike to the right, you know, usually you grab the handlebars and you shift it, you know, kind of like a, like a bus, like you're steering a bus mm-hmm. or something like that. You would shift, you know, your left hand forward and your right hand closer to you. And that would make the bike go to the right. Well, he had it engineered so that in order to make it go to the right, you have to turn it to the left. And so it was backwards. Oh, my God. And as he's trying to ride, he kept falling over, kept falling over. And he was like, I'm going to learn how to ride this bike. And so he starts training and training and training. He finally figures out how to ride the bike. And he goes, this is great. And then he hopped on a regular bike and he couldn't do it anymore. And his brain had kind of rewired itself so that he couldn't ride a regular bike. And it took him a long time to figure out how to ride the other bike. And eventually he got to the point where he could ride both bikes. And I wonder if language is a similar thing in people's minds where you, you speak in, you think in English you think in Turkish, but if you were to, to go back and forth, like if you were to go to Turkey now and rewire that Turkish part of your brain, if you could kind of toggle between the two uh, faster. I think so, because I since I moved a, when I was a little older, I remember kind of having both mm. for a little bit when I was first learning English. But I think, yeah, if you were able to rewire it, I, I totally think you would. I, the problem with me is I never spoke English at, or Turkish at home. Oh. I spoke English at home. So for me, it just, once it was out, it was out. It's gone. Yeah. Have you been, when's the last time you've been to Turkey? I haven't been since I've moved. So. Wow. I know. Any desire to go back? Yes, definitely. Oh. For the food. For the, just There's for the food? There's no Turkish food in Southern California as much. There's a couple places. That's not, every time I go to Subway, I see Turkey. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that was an old. elementary level joke. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, okay, question number nine. Why didn't you quit? Why didn't I quit? I, I don't know. I guess I never quit. I'm still here, you know, working with speech and debate. So I don't know. I, I just love, I don't know, I love to talk. I love seeing every little person that's in my class. I love seeing their personalities. 
I love seeing what kind of weird thing that they want to talk about. You know, I love seeing the jokes that they want to make. I think we're all individuals, but some of us don't have an avenue to express it. So that's why I didn't quit. Because I want to give everyone that platform to be themselves and say who they are. That's good. I like that. Question number 10. This is my favorite question. Oh, my gosh. What was the best advice you've received about a speech? The best advice I ever received about a speech. Man, that's hard. That's hard for me because our coach wasn't very involved. So we were definitely self-taught and alumni taught. Actually, I do remember. It was at uh, Arizona State, the speech camp. And they had an Oh, a college student who had competed and ha- was really good at extent come judge the tournament at the end of the camp where we would all, you know, come in and give extemp speeches tournament style. And I, my voice was shaking so much. He told me that, and I don't know if he meant it, but it was so nice. He told me in person that I had a really nice sounding voice, which prior to then, and I still to this day don't think at all. I don't believe in that. But he said that to me. And he said that, you know, what you have a great sounding voice. Once you're able to relax and once you get the hang of the structure, you're going to do so well because it's so nice to listen to. I still don't agree with him. But that that was really empowering. And it gave me more confidence. So the advice was to just kind of calm yourself, yeah. calm your natural sounding yes. voice? Yes. Oh, or your your beautiful sounding voice? Oh, Is that thank what you. Yes. Oh, I didn't say that. He said that. <laughs> I think you sound like uh, fingernails on a chalkboard. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, that that that's a nice advice. It just yeah, kind of like just, let your natural right, voice to, come out. Mm-hmm, just to relax a little bit. It, and also, I think to me, it meant that to trust yourself a little bit. Yeah. Because I think I was just doubting something that maybe wasn't a problem, right? Because you're your own worst critic. So maybe all this time I was being overly critical of my own voice. So I think it just gave me a little boost of confidence. And to know that... I can trust and be who I am. That's really nice. Yes. Well, I hope other people are taking something away from this. I hope so, too. Ibru, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's been me. great talking to yeah. you. If anybody has any questions for Ibru, if they want to reach out to us, you can reach us on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle there is uh, at Forensic Podcast. Ibru, do you have uh, a place where people can find you, or do you care to have people find you? Maybe <laughs> you want to stay hidden. No, I'm a pretty... Well, I'm not that private, but I'm I'm okay. Go ahead and plug yourself if you've got a handle or Facebook or uh, Instagram or anything like that. You can find me at uh, the building of Nova 42. Nova 42. Or at any of our tournaments for the elementary level at the Southern California Junior Forensics League. I will be running around looking very sweaty with a bunch of papers in my hand. That's me. <laughs> Doing a great job. <laughs> All right. So until the next round, keep talking. And as Ibru says, relax and trust in your beautiful voice. I'm not an actress. Oh, you're acting now. Because if you're not, somebody must have